Welcome to the Geektastic Dad Podcast. My name is Jason. I'm your friendly neighborhood geek and father of a daughter. I am going to use this episode to wrap up my run on the Player's Handbook, so we'll be talking about chapters 10, 11, and then I'll summarize the appendices. If you'd like to visit me on social media, send me an email or whatever. Point your favorite web browser to geektastic.link slash contact. You can support my podcast by going to geektastic.link slash support. If you'd like to leave me a voice message and possibly have it played on my podcast, visit geektastic.link slash voicemail. All of these links can be found in the show notes. Please like and subscribe my podcast with your favorite app, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Thank you for joining me. Now let's get started. Okay, it's time for another installment of... What the geek? Alright, so you may have noticed that Star Trek Picard Season 2 has premiered, and I really couldn't be more excited. It, it starts out with a bang, uh, just this instant excitement. Now, I don't want to give away any spoilers, that's not me, so I'll be as ambiguous as I can. But things have definitely changed for the characters, and not in a good way. Uh, you get to see Guinan, but that was no real surprise, they kind of advertised that. Now, the entire episode had me riveted. Now, you get some insight into Picard's childhood through some flashbacks, and it's clear that he didn't have a rosy upbringing, but you also see that his mother was this strong anchor for him, and may even be why he looked to the stars to become, you know, a captain. Now, there's a little bit of what Soji's been up to uh, as well. Uh, episode 2 drops tomorrow as of the recording of this podcast, and I, I know what I'll be doing, uh, but I definitely check, uh, urge you to check out the article from Star Trek News uh, in the show notes. Be warned that there may be spoilers in it, so read it at your own discretion. Now, Nerdvana has an article on the trailer, uh, with the trailer for the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi TV series. Now, I've been, I've been watching Boba Fett, and it's been, a, it's been entertaining, uh, but I'm way more excited about Obi-Wan. It looks like this intense Star Wars feel kind of a thing for me. Ewan McGregor is back as Obi-Wan, and Hayden Christensen will be back in his role as Darth Vader. So you're getting some, you know, kickbacks there. Uh, Obi-Wan premieres May 25th, so we still have to wait a couple of months, but definitely check out the trailer in the show notes and definitely enjoy the wait. Uh, back on the topic of Star Trek, I'm just going to sandwich, do a star whatever sandwich here. Uh, I don't know if you've heard yet, but there's another series coming out called Strange New Worlds. Now, this time they're taking us back in time again, pre-Kirk, to Captain F Christopher Pike when he was in charge of the USS Enterprise. Now they're pulling Ensign Mount in as Captain Pike. You may have remembered him from Star Trek Discovery Season 2. We'll also see Science Officer Spock, played by Ethan Peck, also from Discovery. Now, I'm excited about this series, but I'm also a little nervous because they're stepping into this iconic Star Trek territory, and if it's not, like, excellent, I'm afraid we're all going to be disappointed. But that being said, I'm hopeful. Trailers in the show notes. Take a look. Now let's get rolling to the rest of the podcast. So thank you again for joining me. Appreciate it. Um, what is Dungeons & Dragons without magic? Like, ch Chapter 10 of the Player's Handbook goes over spellcasting. So what exactly is spellcasting in D&D? Well, Player's Handbook describes a spell as a, quote, discrete magical effect 
A single shaping of the magical energies that suffuses the multiverse into a specific limited expression. End quote. Wow, that's heavy. So I like to imagine magic in terms of Dragonlance, a web of energy that can be woven together to produce some magical effect. However, you describe it, magic is manipulating the unseen energy of the world for the benefit of the character or the party. So when we talk about spells, we have to consider spell levels. So every spell ha has a base level ranging from zero, or a cantrip, all the way up to level nine. The spell's level is a kind of a high-level indicator of the spell's power. So for classes that include cantrips, these spells can be cast as many times as they want. Cantrips are unlimited. Um, but other spells generally have a limit on how many can be cast by the spellcaster, uh, depending on their class level. So one thing to note, spell levels and character levels are not the same thing. For example, if I'm playing a ranger in a campaign, which I am right now, uh, he doesn't even get spells until his character reaches level 2, and then he gets first level spells. A wizard won't get second level spells until he reaches a third level character. All of this is broken down in the chapter 3, uh, where you find the classes. So you can look that up and find out which classes have spells and which levels they get spells at and what spell levels. So all of that's, <laughs> all of that's in chapter 3. So, some spellcaster classes have to prepare their spells. Now, these include clerics and wizards. Other spellcasters just know their spells, and they are rooted in their minds. Most magic-building monsters are, are much the same way. They just have the spells in their minds. Now, classes will differ on spells being known versus prepared. So, be sure to read through your character's class so you understand how the mechanic of the magic works for that specific class. So, I mentioned briefly before that about spell slots, but no matter how many spellcaster, how many spells a caster knows or is prepared, there is only a limited number of spells that he or she can cast before a f long rest. With the exception of warlocks, each spellcaster class has a table of how many spells can be cast and of what level at each character level. That warlocks completely different. I talked about that in a previous episode. Just skip over warlocks for now. So when a spellcaster casts a spell, a uh, spell slot is expended at the spell's base level or higher. Now, most spells, if cast at a higher level than their base, end up producing a greater effect, of course, except warlocks. They have to cast at the highest level. Just Let's just forget about warlocks today. For example, Fireball is a third-level spell. It deals 8d6 fire damage at that level. However, if you cast it at a fourth-level spell slot, it increases by 1d6 for a total of 9d6 of damage. If you cast a Fireball at 6th level, then it deals 11d6 points of fire damage. So you can see how this can scale pretty quickly. Now, when most spellcasters finish a long rest, their spell slots are restored. Now, some characters and even monsters can cast spells without using a spell slot, but for now, we'll just keep things simple, and we'll just be sure to review your class information. That's my best advice, is review the class information. If you have any questions, speak to your DM. He or she should be able to answer, answer those questions. So cantrips and rituals, um, I talked about cantrips just a second ago. Um, cantrips are spells that can be cast without burning a spell slot. They're essentially at will, and they don't need to be prepared in advance. If your character has cantrips, then they can use those as many times as they want, uh, whenever they want. Some spells have a tag called ritual. Now these spells can be cast normally or as a ritual. So this basically means that you can take 10 minutes or so, 
uh, in addition to the spell's normal casting time, to cast it without using an actual spell slot. So you're basically a wizard holding a book, uh, reading from it and casting the spell through that instead of what you've memorized. Now, there is a catch. The spellcaster must have the feat that grants the ability to cast spells as rituals. Now, clerics and druids have this feat already. A ritual spell also must be prepared or on the caster's list of spells unless the ritual feat spe specifies otherwise. Wizards do, by the way. They spe specify otherwise. <laughs> Don't you love it? So as you can see, playing a spellcaster can get a little messy. You have to understand the mechanics of the spells and all that that's wrapped up in it. And hopefully this podcast will help you. Um, but if you are new to D&D, my recommendation, just a little sidebar here, my recommendation is that you don't play a spellcaster. Or if you do, you play one that's not heavily dependent on spells like a sorcerer or a wizard. Uh, pick a ranger or something else. Anyways, that's my recommendation. Uh, moving on. So the next question is probably, okay, I have a spellcaster, how do I cast a spell? Well, thankfully, the rules are pretty standard across the board. Every spell will include the spell's name, of course, uh, spell level, the school of magic, and we'll talk about this in a moment, uh, the casting time, range, components, and duration. Now, the spell's information will also detail what effect it will have as well. So casting time, uh, most spells will have a casting time of one action, which means, you know, like if you're in combat, you have your one action and you cast a spell. Some spells will indicate they can be cast as a bonus action or a reaction, so be paid close attention to the casting time of your spells. If you use a bonus action spell, you cannot cast another spell during the same turn with the exception of a cantrip that takes one action. So if you burn a spell with a reaction or a bonus action, you can't cast another spell unless it's a cantrip. So just something to keep in mind. Some spells do have a longer casting time, which also includes ritual spells. The spells will describe what the casting time is, whether it's one minute or ten minutes or whatever. Uh, spells also have a range. So if the spell has a target, that target must be within the spell's range. Keep in mind, the target can be a creature or it can be a point uh, on the map. It can be a, a place, you know, 30, 300 feet from you, whatever, um, where the spell initiates from. An example of the latter is Fireball. We love Fireball. Um, it has an area effect, so you just have to cast it close to the creatures that you want to hit. We'll talk about area effects a little bit later as well. So components, most spells have some sort of a component, whether it's a physical requirement that must be met in order to cast a spell. Um, this, the components can also be verbal, can be somatic, hand movements, or material. So verbal components are basically chanting the words to cast a spell. Somatic components, I mentioned, were gestures, hand gestures, and whatnot. Material components are objects required to cast a spell, like pat guano, <laughs> for example. So the material components, a spellcaster can either use the component pouch and have the components for spellcasting, or they can use a spellcasting focus, which we talked about in Chapter 5. However, if there is a cost associated with the material components, for example, like 50 gold worth of diamonds, then that character must have that component. They can't use the uh, spell focus, spellcasting focus for that. So there are eight schools of magic, sorry, there are eight schools of magic in the player's handbook, which are basically categorized for the spells based on how the spell behaves. Um, you know, abjuration are spells that are protection spells. They generally create magical barriers, negative harmful effects, harm trespassers, even banish creatures to other planes of existence. 
Then you have conjuration spells, which involve teleportation of objects and creatures from one location to another. This includes spells that summon creatures or objects or teleport the caster from one location to another. Uh, conjuration spells can also create objects or effects from nothing, essentially. Divination spells, uh, they reveal information. So the secrets long forgotten, or a glimpse of the future, a location of hidden things, a truth behind illusions, or visions of distant people or places. Those are all divination spells. And then you have enchantment spells. Um, they affect the mind, or... Um, or uh, they affect the mind of others or take control of their behavior or influence them. You could make an enemy see you as a friend or force the creature to take some course of action. Uh, evocation spells manipulates magical energies to produce some effect, calling up fire or lightning or channeling energy to heal wounds. Uh, illusion spells deceive the mind and senses. Uh, they can make people see things that aren't there, miss things that are there, hear some phantom noise or remember things that never really happened. Uh, then you have necromancy spells. It's all about death uh, and life energies. So you create undead, drain life, or bring the dead back to life. You know, we're all familiar with necromancers. Uh, transmutation spells change the properties of a creature object or the environment. Uh, think Harry Potter transfigurations. It's a good example. So these, these classifications of magic in themselves have no inherent rules of their own. They're just a means to organize spells into groups or categories. So... They're not, I mean, it's good to know, um, but it's not something that you're going to necessarily need to know while you're playing the game most of the time. So keep that in mind. Uh, so duration. So each spell, in addition to casting time, also have a duration. Sometimes casting times and durations get a little confused. But casting time is how long it takes to manifest the magic, whereas the duration determines how long the spell lasts or how long that magical effect is in effect once it's cast. So duration can be determined in rounds, minutes, hours, even years, depending on the spell. Some spells do specify that the effect lasts until the spell is dispelled or even destroyed, so it's indefinite unless it's taken away by some other spell or object or means. Uh, many times casting time is instantaneous, meaning once it is cast... Uh, I'm sorry, duration is instantaneous. Once it is cast, it has an immediate effect and then it's over. And then some spells do require concentration, which means the spellcaster has to actively maintain a certain level of focus on the spell in order to keep its uh, effects going. So standard movement or attack doesn't really impact concentration, but it can be broken under one of three possible circumstances. Um, spellcasters can only concentrate on one spell at a time, so if you cast another spell that requires concentration, it will end the first spell's effect. Whenever a spellcaster takes damage, it takes a risk of disrupting the concentration of a spell. And in order to maintain concentration, the spellcaster will need to roll a constitution saving throw. Uh, the DC is usually equal to 10 plus half the damage inflicted. So if the spellcaster takes 16 points of damage, the DC is 10 plus 8, which, or 18. If the spellcaster is incapacitated or killed, then the spell ends. I mean, that's kind of a given. Ultimately... Uh, it's up to the DM to determine when concentration saving throws are necessary, and they may even require it for non-combat-related influence. It's, like I said, it's up to the DM. Uh, then we have targets. Now, on, um, spells generally require you to pick one or more targets to be affected by the spell's magic. Uh, refer to the spell's description to find out what needs to be targeted. In most cases, the spell requires you to have a clear path to the target, um, so be, being behind total cover often negates the spell's ability to be cast. 
And some spells allow you, the caster, to target yourself if it indicates a creature of your choice. So keep that in mind, too. And then I promised to talk about areas of effect, which allows the caster to target multiple creatures at the same time within a specific area. Areas of effect can be a line, a cone, a cube, sphere, cylinder. Uh, these are all areas of effect, and they're all relative to some point of origin. Now, areas of effect are kind of difficult to describe, but think basic geometry. So a cone extends from some point of origin, and its width at any given point along its length is equal to that point's distance from the point of origin. I know, that's a lot to take in. Just think of a cone. When looking at a cone's area, the distance will indicate its maximum length from the point of origin. So then a cube, when you select a cube's point of origin, the area of effect lies anywhere on the face of the cubical effect. Um, size is usually expressed as the length of each side of the cube. So then you have cylinders. Point, cylinders' point of origin is the center of the circle of a particular radius, which will be in the spell's description. Um, the area of effect expands in a straight line from the point of origin to the perimeter of the circle, which makes up the base of the cylinder. And then from there, the spell's effect will extend upward from the base or downward from the top to a distance equal to the height of the cylinder. Think a think soup can. <laughs> Uh, so you have a line. Lines are simple. They extend out from the point of origin in a straight line up to the length and they cover the area defined by its width. Easy enough. And then you have spheres. So spheres are also fairly easy. You select a point of origin and the sphere extends out from that point in a spherical pattern. Uh, the distance or size is expressed as the radius from that point of origin. And then something to keep in mind, cones, cubes, and lines are gen generally do not have the point of origin included in the range of effect, whereas spheres and cylinders generally do have the point of origin within the range of effect. So, whew, that's a lot to take in, but definitely read up on that in chapter 10 and see if you can, uh, you know, wrap your mind around it. So spells generally have either a saving throw or an attack rule component when they're cast. If the spell indicates a saving throw, then the damage is done based on whether or not the target succeeds in whatever saving throw is necessary or whether they fail. In many cases, a failure results in half damage, but sometimes it means no damage. It just depends on the spell. A spell's DC, or difficulty, is based on a simple equation for the spellcaster, which is 8 plus the spellcaster's modifier, plus proficiency bonus, plus any other special modifiers. So once the spell's required... Uh, or, I'm sorry, other spells require the caster to make an attack roll to determine if the spell hits the target. The attack bonus for these spells is also based on a simple equation, which is a spell casting modifier plus proficiency bonus. Most spells that require an attack roll are a ranged spell, but there are a few that require a melee attack. Ranged spells are also subject to disadvantage if the target is within 5 feet of the caster, kind of like a bow and arrow or some other ranged weapon. Uh, and then we have magical effects, combi combining magical effects. So when multiple spells are cast that have the same effect, like Bless, the effects of the spell do not multiply. So only the duration overlaps in these spells, and in the case of spell overlap, only the most potent spell has an effect. So it doesn't, you know, if you cast Bless twice, or two different people cast it, the person who receives the Bless, or the spell, or what, whatever sort, will get the highest of the two bonuses that the spell offers. So that's pretty much it for chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to move on to chapter 11 in just a moment, but 
um, you know, if you have, I'm going to say this, if you have any questions about spellcasting, I uh, definitely urge you to read chapter 10 carefully and then talk to your DM. You know, don't be scared to play a spellcaster. It's it's a lot of fun to be a spellslinger. Um, but, you know, you, you kind of have to understand the mechanics a little bit more. And if you're, if you're new, that might be a little bit hard. But if not, go for it. I say go for it. So um, that's it for chapter 10. Okay, if you look through chapter 11 of the player's handbook, you'll see all the spells that are available for the spellcaster classes, which include bards, clerics, druids, paladins, rangers, sorcerers, warlocks, even though we're not talking about them today, and wizards. They are broken up by class and, and then subdivided into their spell levels. You can go deeper into each spell by flipping through the spell descriptions. If you're playing or planning to play a spellcaster, I suggest taking time to read through the spell descriptions of your class. You should see all the components of the spell uh, that we've discussed so far, and more information in the spell's description. So definitely go through and read that. I'm not going to go through all the spells. That would be insane. Uh, there's way too many of them. But I definitely urge you to, uh, you know, if you want to play a bard, look at the bard spells. See what's available. See what options you can have. Um, start to mentally imagine how your character would leverage different things. Because I, I personally like to play into my character's personality with the kind of spells that, that he or she uh, acquires along the way. So I think that adds to the the uh, experience of role-playing a bit more. And then as for the appendices, I mean, I do, you don't have to look at them all, but I do urge you to read through Appendix A because it discusses all of the conditions from being blinded to unconscious and what the consequence for each dis condition is. And then Appendix D is probably going to have handy just in case you play a druid and decide to use wild shape or conjure animals because it's got some, some beasts in there. And then finally, Appendix E is pretty neat because it offers some inspirational reading material that are family related, or sorry, fantasy related and based on D&D. &D. So one of my favorites is the Dragonlance series. Um, it is heavily, you know, related to D&D. &D. And, uh, you know, just look through those. You might get some ideas or be inspired to read some books. And it can't hurt to get more immersed into the fantasy world if you're going to be playing a fantasy role-playing game. So that's my recommendation. Appendix A, Appendix D, and then keep D handy, and then Appendix E uh, if you're looking for something good to read. So that's it. So this concludes my podcast for today. It also wraps up my run on the Player's Handbook. It's been super fun and quite educational for me as well. I picked up a little bit more than I didn't know before, so... Um, that was fun. I may consider doing a Dungeon Master Guide at some point. Uh, that's a huge, huge endeavor. Um, I need a little break from sourcebook material for a while, so I'll be focusing my podcast on other geek-related materials. Um, so if you have any ideas, you know, I definitely urge you to send them to me, geektastic.link slash contact. And again, if you've enjoyed this podcast, considering buying me a cup of coffee, geektastic.link slash support. Uh, if you would love, uh, or I would love it if you would share this podcast with your friends and family, even strangers. I mean, bake business cards and hand them out with my link. I don't care. Have fun with it. <laughs> so like and subscribe my podcast. You can see the list at geektastic.link slash podcast. Uh, you can also watch, or sorry, not watch. You can also listen to my podcast on the website itself if you prefer. Um, if you'd like to visit me on social media, or again, send me your suggestions for other future shows, Open your favorite web browser to geektastic.link slash contact. 
I do post podcasts on our Facebook page when they're done uploading. Plus, I like to share silly geek memes there as well. Um, all sorts of good stuff. So, if you'd like to leave me a voice message and have it played on the show, with your permission, of course, go to geektastic.link slash voicemail. I appreciate you hanging in there with me through the player's handbook. Um, be kind to each other, have fun, and of course, always stay geektastic. Geektastic.